1: I guess. Yes. Maybe want a cliffhanger or an intriguing intro. You know, something to really capture their interest. <laughs> I mean, or an extended gonna... play
0: in. There we go. <laughs> <An> extended play in. <laughs> Welcome to Freightonomics. I am Zach Strickland, head of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freight Waves. and with me, as always, Anthony Smith, Chief Economist. Here to bring you more freight knowledge as well as supply chain information and macroeconomic trends. Uh, You know, it's this show is going to be centered around a lot of the changing relationships, not just with data and and things like that, but also with just the underlying patterns of how things are moving. Transportation, of course, a primary focus here, but there's other things going on. Uh, Manufacturing cycles have been disrupted. Um, we're seeing the ports obviously changing some of the way they do things. And then there's always the company, the company's changing the way that they operate as well. So we're going to address a few of those that I think, you know, it's become kind of noisy, Anthony, and it's hard to see some of these underlying things. It's kind of like when everything's moving in a general direction, everybody forgets there's also things that are happening within that move.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the big things, of course, from, uh, from my perspective as a macroeconomic outlook and really looking at the environment, it always gets tricky when you're in a time of transition. Yeah. And especially if you say you're a brave economic forecaster out there and you make a certain call, it's hard to say, hey, you know what? I made this forecast, I made this call, and now I'm starting to see some early signs of data that say, hey, maybe this is going to not be what I intended it to be or what I thought it was going to be. So I'm really impressed when those economists, those forecasters stick to their original forecasts because it can get difficult to kind of start to see, hey, I got to trust the data, but at the same time, this isn't indicative of a trend just yet. So it's always really interesting when you see times of transition start to happen and play out in the market and of course in forecasts. Yeah, forecasting
0: becomes, it's been a challenge for several years now since COVID, but it's it's still a challenge. Uh, Because we are still in a very transitional state. And the freight market is obviously still transitioning as well. Uh, And, you know, we do have some nuance showing up there because the relationship between our data changes as well. And I'm going to highlight that if you want to. That's right. I think we have to go into our market in two, starting in three, two, one, go. All right, all of you freight fans out there, this is the bread and butter right here of the freight market in terms of. What is capacity doing? What are rates doing? We've got our NTI there in the white line showing some resilience in the summer months as it's staying at a pretty elevated level uh, relative to where it was in May for sure, but also a little bit elevated over April. So this is the average dry van spot rate for loads moving more than 250 miles uh, that we aggregate and we show you what rates are doing. And the fact that rates have stopped falling, I've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, is a big deal. But the fact that they're actually staying kind of high and showing some sort of upward momentum in a few markets is also something to note. It is the summer and it is kind of seasonal to see this. But the biggest takeaway from this chart is the tender rejection index. Oh, try right there. You see that there is a divergence uh, that we're starting to show a correction towards uh, around the first bit of June. And that, you know, Tony Mulvey and I talked about it this morning, if you want to go back and look at that clip on on the spot. But that right there is a very telling signal in itself in the way that spot rates may be becoming a little bit more reactive than the underlying market conditions actually suggest. So definitely something to watch. However, it looks like tender rejection rates are actually coming in a back into correction here. So definitely a trend to watch. Motions are still high uh, on the spot market. So let's go to the next chart. OTBI. Uh, demand uh, side indicator. Actually, this is the NTIF. Let's just go ahead and do this one. This is the forecast. <laughs> I know back to OTBI. Uh NTIF, the forecast here is showing that spot rates are going to continue to rise. Uh, you know, the next 28 days up into July 4th, there are upstream predictive signals here uh, that are telling this algorithm that has been a little bit, you know, exaggeratory of late, but it does kind of come into agreement over the next month that rates are going to continue to have some upward pressure on them until
1: the first part of July. Zach, it's always impressive when you just pull off the freight market into So looking at some of the things, of course, you talk about, you know, earlier before this um, seasonality, some things that remain the same that aren't the same, the nuances and mm-hmm. things like that. One of the big things, of course, we talk to usually during this time of the year is around, you know, peak season and what to look forward to in the summer and this pull forward of stuff because yeah. we have back to school, we have the holiday season. What are those catalysts looking like right now? Yeah, let's go ahead and pull up the
0: OTVI since I, I fast forwarded over it a little bit here. Uh, OTVI, of course, the measure of demand. I've been leading off with OTVI as kind of the backbone here because demand patterns do are kind of like what drives the freight market. The longer that demand stays at a certain level uh, is is basically when, you know, that's how you know that capacity is going to move towards it uh, over time. And we are significantly lower than we were the previous two years, um, the green line and blue line. Um, But we're actually back to alignment with about 2018 and a little bit higher than 2019 levels in terms of total demand. And demand is showing some level of resilience as well. So, and it's by no means suggesting that capacity has found its you know, way all the way down to meet demand purely. But we are seeing some pattern changes in the underlying way that freight is shipped. It's down year over year. It's up month over month and, and month, month over month, the last two months. Um, but in that changing and transitioning that we see, we're actually seeing a move in the way the origins of freight <laughs> like a lot of these companies are moving their distribution networks and channels to other areas of the country uh multiple reasons near shoring diversification uh you know things like that are all having an influence it's it's hard to kind of nail down one but the fact of the matter is for anybody that's moving freight right now they should be aware that long-term trends Just because Phoenix, for instance, has always been a black hole for a truck to go into and never get out of, we're actually seeing Phoenix turn into a somewhat tight environment because there's been so much outbound demand growth relative to inbound demand. And that's creating some of these little pockets of instability uh, that are starting to show up in the spot market. And that's actually what's driving spot rates higher right now. It's not that we're seeing these signals that capacity has come 20% lower, or there's all these trucks off the road. It's that they're actually also moving the the freight patterns and networks in the United States are changing in a meaningful way to where Phoenix isn't necessarily as tough of a market to find a load out of as it used to be.
1: And it's interesting because, I mean, we've seen some instances of this, especially throughout the, the, the pandemic, where, of course, everyone was just going to LA. And then you saw so many lanes going in and out of LA. And it happens because once you start to see so much, you know, like, hey, there's opportunity here, the market reacts and everyone floods into it. And then it just gets, you know, every single just drop is squeezed out of it yep. until it's kind of right back to where it was at that one point in time. Yeah. And then,
0: you know, the, the Port of LA, you know, speaking of LA, just got their labor deal uh, agreement reached. Um, I don't know that this was going to be the disruptor that everybody thought it was. However, because of the reasons that i'm talking about here the the fact that supply chain managers and these companies have been changing the way that they traditionally have distributed their freight their goods in the united states it's changed it's changing and they're trying to become more resilient in the way that they don't put all of their goods through one throughput or bring all of their stuff into one port um i think it's a you know obviously a a sigh of relief because there's still the majority of freight or imports do come in through ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. But demand is down and inventories are not necessarily as strained as they as they were during the pandemic. So I don't know that this would have been a huge thing uh, in a meaningful way, but Los Angeles also kind of oversupplied for a while. Now, we did see spot rates jump up or out of Los Angeles here recently. But again, I go and I look at the tender rejection data and it doesn't really support a sustained event.
1: And, and speaking about, you know, the West Coast, of course, uh, we can talk to some of the news newsonomics in this section. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Byers put out an article not too long ago uh, around the bullwhip effect cracking U.S. imports peak season again. Um, Here we put out a really cool article talking around containerized containerized imports still trending at 2019 levels, but major downside risk to volumes continue to rise. And so this kind of continues to kind of lead in from the, the show that we had previously with Zach Rogers.
0: Yeah, the, the, you know, he, he, he brings out a pretty important like they, they put out this forecast in terms of import volumes. And it looks like, you know, towards the back end of the year. They're actually the peak season, you know. In relation to the, you know, everybody's taking a sigh of relief on peak season being okay now that the labor agreement was reached on the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. Uh, But the forecast shows after July, volumes start to drop. And that's, you know, traditionally July ish, August is where we see the biggest amount of imports coming from overseas on the maritime side. And It's not higher than it was the year before or even the year before that, Uh, but it's like what he's pointing out here is that retailers specifically don't have a super robust outlook. Uh, He talks about the LMI that we were talking about with Zach Rogers, as you alluded to. Uh, Yes, overall inventory levels contracted at a 49.5 value last month, but retailer inventories were up. Slightly, with a 54.4, it was the wholesaler inventories that contracted at a rate of 46.7 that really dragged that number down. So again, you can't just assume like everybody is doing the same thing anymore. Retailers, manufacturers having a different experience right now. So you can't just apply one, you know, this data point has historically been connected to another. You have to break things down a little bit further to get to the truth
1: exactly and i mean we're looking at upstream activity especially in terms of manufacturing there's still a lot of headwinds really showing themselves so you look at things like the ism pmi that's showing contraction new orders in contraction the backlog of orders in contraction we're looking at regional fed indices empire state index did tick up into the positive segment uh, or i would say territory i think just over six percent after being in negative territory for uh, the last few months here but we did see more negativity for things like the philly fed index that's in the double digits um so we're still seeing that there are headwinds for manufacturing and there's easing and i would say almost recessionary trends for manufacturing really building up for the second half of 2023 we saw industrial production start to take down as well in the most recent report. So, really, I think there are a lot of headwinds building up for manufacturers for those upstream um, uh, producers, and their inventory levels are relaying that. You know, they're
0: they're they're actually in defense mode, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we've seen with the federal you know funds rate on the rise is investment sentiment is on the decline, and that's that's the whole point. <laughs> that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us to stop spending money. <laughs> so that we have time to catch up with supply. Now, I would contend that there's other things going on that are contributing to inflation outside of people continuing to just purchase things. Um, you know, corporate margins. I wrote about that in a chart of the week. Uh, there's just input costs that rose too significantly during the pandemic era that are still getting passed along to consumers and end users,
1: yeah. correct? Yeah, and, and, and mean the other big thing is, of course, Companies are going to keep pushing prices on consumers and still, until there's like some type of resistance. And right now, there hasn't really been that significant roadblock of resistance from the right. consumers. Consumers are still spending, um, even though we got the retail sales number up, I think it was somewhere around 0. 02 to 0.3% for the latest month. Not adjusted for inflation, so definitely have to always put that out there. Um, Which but means they actually bought less. They <laughs> actually bought less if it was yeah. that small of a margin there. Yeah. Um, but we're looking at the consumer. They are definitely leveraging their credit cards at a pretty expansive rate. And so that's still very much a concern. Um, we're looking they're, at... They're putting more on their credit card than their wages
0: are keeping up with. So yeah. they're actually taking on more debt. And then, of course, with the funds rate increasing, their
1: credit card... That's more expensive. ...is getting more expensive over time. So... These are moving targets. These are moving targets and they're a concern. And the big thing is, of course, Jay Powell spoke about it a little bit yesterday. A lot of people are always going to point to it. It's the labor market. is just so strong and robust. And I am glad that it's holding up right now because I don't want to see a bunch of people out of jobs. But the fact of the matter is, is that the labor market, the job openings number on paper is still very much inflated because if we have more job openings than we have people to work those jobs, that's not balanced at all. And if we're having people that are losing their jobs and don't have the same jobs that are open or available to work, that's an imbalance in the labor market of not the right skill sets that are meeting the demand for labor in the market. And really, a lot of it's still going to be around hospitality, service industry. When we looked at the retail
0: figures, uh, the credit card data, uh, we can see that people are spending less on goods. Yeah. And they're at, like, which is not reflected in the overall figure, <laughs> but they're spending more on services. They continue to travel. This is summer. So, I mean, <laughs> we're all going out on vacations, whether we think it's a good idea or not. And people are continuing to feed the service sector. It's almost like a little mini bubble in my mind. Yeah. In the way that everybody's so cooped up for so long. They're kind of like, I want to have some experiences now. I bought all the stuff. (laughs) I got that couch covered during the pandemic and all the things that I wanted to do for the next five years are probably in my house.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. And I mean, what the big thing is, is they always say, don't let the inflation genie out of the bottle because it's so hard to put back in. And it's proving to be true, especially when we, of course, look at the latest CPI number. We did see that there was some ever so slightly easing overall, but really core inflation remains sticky. And that's, I think, going to be an issue moving forward. And really, when we saw that, when we see the pause from the Fed, It's, you know, I understand where it's coming from because, of course, it's going to take some time to see, Okay, where are we going to be sitting after the impacts of our increases really kind of make their way through the economy, maybe six to 12 months from now. But really, at the same time, it's difficult to restart increases after pausing, but it's more difficult to start increases after a drop. So the pause definitely makes a little bit of sense here. And I can see the rationale behind it. Um, but definitely hinted towards some more increases a little bit later on in the year. So I think the markets may be planning or maybe trying to plan around that potentially.
0: Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think what you said is is probably accurate here with uh, Powell's kind of sentiment. He's trying to make sure that if he were to say we're not going to increase rates, that everybody just kind of jumps back into the market <laughs> all at once. We tend to be a little reactionary as as a group, as a society nowadays, and so. The stock market has gone on a bull run. Uh, And I think people are, you know, that's what he's worried about, is that we all of a sudden get back out there and say, everything's going to be fine again uh, because rates come down and people start overspending even more so. So I think there's a little bit of psychology going on here for sure. Uh, Speaking of things that are a little overreactive, (laughs) uh, Yellow uh, and and their union... (laughs) have gotten into a bit of a shouting match with each other publicly. And this came out, Teamsters not bailing out Yellow, again, unmoved by Carrier Finances. Yellow, of course, the story here is that apparently the union claims that there was a memo sent to union uh, leaders that said, we're going to run out of money if you don't take some uh, concessions on the agreement. And the union decided to make this a public statement. This feels like a very poorly judged move, if the end goal is for them to come into some sort of agreement and continue to do business. Yeah. Um, the fact that you're kind of, you know, in this internal struggle uh, over, you know, you're both supposed to be in agreement here, like, and you're you're making your you're airing your laundry out in the public, and now customers get the sense that you may not be around. <laughs> so, as a union member. That means you're out of a job Yeah, uh, in a few months. And it also means that you're probably not going to be in a union uh, much longer because guess what? We're in a downward freight market. Yeah, Trucking companies don't open up as union trucking companies anymore.
1: That era has long passed. So quick thoughts here. Yeah, I mean we We spoke about this, I think, a few shows ago, and it always kind of intrigues me because, of course, no one no one wins when the family feuds. But when we see uh, the union's impact on um, and their expectations, regardless of where the market is, mm-hmm. there is a Seth, definitely disconnect because, of mm-hmm. course, the union representatives want to present the best deal for those union members. But at the same time, it has to be reasonable into current market conditions. And I think the position from the union members in this instance, or in many instances, is that, hey, they got tons of money. They just don't want to give it to us right now.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so it's a little bit of negotiation tactic here that I think is a little overplayed uh, in this day and age and certainly in this environment. It feels a little blind. Yellow, of course, been struggling for years uh, overall, and this is not new. But certainly when a down freight market hits, (laughs) that's just going to exacerbate the problem. And I I just don't see the leverage here or the real play outside of kind of some politicking and personal branding. So the last thing I want to hit on from the news, Craig Fuller writes an article. And anytime he writes an article, I think it's worth us talking about um, new truck sales are robust, but there's still a trucking bloodbath. Um, and I think this is an extremely valuable read because it highlights exactly the underlying theme of the show today, where we see disconnection in traditional data points that normally mean one thing, but actually aren't reality anymore because the dynamics that drive it have changed. And he does a fantastic job, in my opinion, uh, and I will call him out when I disagree, <laughs> you know this, uh, of kind of logically explaining what's going on. So basically his whole premise is COVID screwed up the heavy duty production cycle. Now, I guess I should back up a little bit. The article's written because heavy duty truck production or orders are up. <laughs> and every a lot of people are saying, oh, freight recession is over. Trucking is actually doing okay. Not the case at all. And he explains as to why this disconnect is happening. We talked about how spot rates, yeah a little disconnected from gender data for a minute. And that's, that's going to happen in these types of transitional environments. Well, we're still in a transitional state from a production cycle standpoint. And so he says from 2020 to 2022, midsize and large fleets were not able to get new truck allotments due to supply chain shortages and a strong retail truck market. Now, this is kind of, you can apply this, not just to trucking, but to just about any company on the planet, (laughs) uh, manufacturing cycles, were disrupted throughout COVID. Right. For companies like this that have a six to nine month cycle from order to completion delivery, uh, that's exacerbated over time. So once their supply chain became unsnarled, now they can actually have some equipment and these, uh, he really focuses on the mid to small size fleets who didn't order any trucks for those two years, basically because the, the bigger fleets got the priority. Right. <laughs> And so these guys sat on their equipment for an extra two years. Their equipment has to be replaced. And that's what's the underlying cause of this boom in the trucking uh, manufacturer.
1: And I think that's a big point there. I mean, looking at really the churn that usually you would see in the vehicles, mm-hmm. it's these folks or these these owner-operators or smaller, medium-sized companies that would typically churn and get you know these newer equipment in, mm-hmm. they haven't been able to do that. And these trucks get tons of miles and then you get to the point where maintenance costs and then throughout that time throughout the pandemic maintenance costs were through the roof because you couldn't get some of those parts in and then once you get the parts in now it's just all these other. There's so many backlogs yep. on top of backlogs and now you're starting to see finally some of these orders coming through and some of these fleets being replenished
0: yeah i, I mean and you the to know about the truck ordering cycle typically companies try to replace their trucks before the maintenance costs become obviously too expensive uh, or overcome the amount of value that is in the truck. But that, that actually isn't the total reason. It's also when a truck's out of service, that's also a failure, a service failure potential. It's less reliable. That hurts their bottom line in general because they can't service the customer, they can't pick up and deliver freight. So it's more than just simple maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So they really try to be ahead of the game here. Now, some of the macroeconomic data is, is a little disconnected from the trucking market right now because you're telling me that new orders and things like that are actually on the decline overall. The trucking market, obviously, in general, if you ignore a few months <laughs> of ordering fluctuation, is also coming down mm-hmm. from those peaks, I think, in general. But, you know, this manufacturing cycle, Anthony, it's it, it feels like that's going to be the thing that we need to ramp up here in the future. Correct. Because consumers are kind of in a bad spot for a minute.
1: Yeah. And I think this is a big thing here. So we're looking at throughout this time of inflation, Mm -hmm. um, so many people that were just buying and consuming things while we've seen manufacturing really start to ease over the last few months. Of course, backlogs being worked through and all that stuff. But really, we need to produce more. We need to be at a high productivity level we need to have a good utilization rate because if not and if we're just importing everything which we are going to import a tons of things tons of stuff the the number of goods diminish and so we need to be able to produce stuff in order to help fight this inflation thing that is going on right now and if we're not doing that that's also going to be counterintuitive to this entire fight against inflation and really overall macroeconomic health yeah there's just so many moving parts right now so you really have to be careful with when you're looking
0: at something that traditionally said one thing it's it, there's there's more there's so much going on underneath that you really can't take it at face value anymore right, right. i mean uh you know we used to see you know and money for instance <laughs> used to mean one thing but with <laughs> interest rates and inflation jumping on top of it now it means something totally
1: different like i can't apply housing costs in 2015 to today that make any sense. No, not at all. And so I mean I think that hits the nail right on the head. Always look at the underlying factors. Okay, you see the headline number. What's causing that? Is this something that is historically normal or what's different here? So these cycles always shift and change. What are the nuances and I got new shoes. Look at you get new shoes. See? Even Anthony's
0: clothes change. Uh and I guess that's the lesson. Things change if we're gonna come at
1: drink more water. Have a great